You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Would you pray with me now? Loving Heavenly Father, we need you so desperately. Help us to concentrate in the midst of fanfare. Help us to hear your word and to know who you are, to understand more and more the depths of your love for us in Christ Jesus. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, and I'm probably the only one who feels this, but I hate waiting. I don't know if you feel that too. I hate waiting. Um, you, the, the way that this has been exposed to me, like I know this, this is a common experience, but the way that this has come to light to me is through traffic in Birmingham. Now, you probably feel my pain... But the problem is that Birmingham doesn't really have any traffic at all, does it? And then, unless you're going down 280, unless you're stupid enough to live down 280, then that's the only problem that we have with traffic in Birmingham. You know, see, I used to live in this city called Sydney that is designed like a game of snakes and ladders where there's not really any straight roads to get anywhere. And so when I was in my first church in seminary, I, I was at this church that was 15 miles away from where I lived but it took an hour by transportation to get there. 15 miles, one hour. And that's because it was really useless to own a car when living in Sydney. And so I'd take trains everywhere I'd go. I'd take buses everywhere I'd go. And so I got really good at waiting in, when I was living in Sydney. Then I come to Birmingham, and if you have to travel further than like 12 minutes, then you're not really in Birmingham anymore. And so when I, I get to this traffic and it's like, oh, there's... There's no traffic here. But then I sit in my car and someone slows down in front of me and I'm just like, get out of the way. I'm coming through. Get out of the way, you freaking idiot. Come on. Oh. I hate waiting. I don't know if you feel that pain. I was thinking about it as the parade was going by. Rachel and I were in Atlanta one weekend and we got stuck behind a parade in our car. And we just... It was just the worst thing that ever happened to us. I, can't, I think that's what hell might be like waiting behind a parade anyway in Atlanta that's right not in Birmingham the reason why I say this is because this period of advent that we're in where as we look forward to Christmas this period of advent is a period of waiting of anticipation of longing for Jesus to come we look forward to this first coming of Jesus when he was born in flesh as a human We look forward to this time on our calendar when we look back to when he was a baby in a manger and how this coming of this baby propels us forward and as we look forward and long for his second coming, we wait again for his his coming again when he'll return to complete everything that he started. So this feeling of waiting is something that we're sitting in right now as we wait for Christmas to come But this feeling of frustration, of longing, of anticipation is so much more amplified for the people of Israel. They've been waiting centuries and and millennia for a Messiah to come, longing for God to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham, that he made to Isaac and to Jacob, waiting for God's king to come and to rescue them from all their enemies, from all the nations surrounding them. And so that feeling of of waiting, of frustration, of, you know, when you're about to 
When you're in a lane in t- on 280 and there's a, someone who's about to turn onto an exit and they just slow down a little bit too much. And so you, in all your kind of trying to get to a place, you just feel like, come on, take the, take the corner, turn. That feeling of frustration, of waiting, of anticipation, that's the feeling that we have when we come to our Old and New Testament passages. A deep groaning, hoping that one day God will do what he's promised, that we'll get to our final destination. So in our Old Testament reading in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11, I should say, we get a foretaste of what the people of Israel have been waiting for. In verse 1, we're told that a shoot from the stump of Jesse will come forth, a branch that will bear fruit. Now, Jesse was the father of King David. And so this is referring back to that promise that God made to the King David that one day one of his descendants would reign on his throne forever, that there would be a perfect king that would reign forever. But that promise didn't quite go to plan. The people of Israel, God's kingdom, has been chopped down to a stump. And so that's why we get that reference to the stump of Jesse. God has put the axe to the people of Israel by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, and by all their enemies. But here in this passage, God promises them that one day another king from David's line will come. It's happening, it's coming. There is hope. And so in verses 2 to 10, we get this awesome description of what this king will be like. Wise and understanding, righteous and faithful, a king who brings justice and peace. Listen to these verses again. Just going to grab my water. Listen to these verses from verses 2 to 10. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what, he see, what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den." They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, shall, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What an awesome picture of the king that God has promised for Israel. How awesome would it be to be ruled by this kind of king? It's no wonder that Israel is waiting in such great anticipation, longing for this Messiah, this King to come. So as we flip to our passage in Matthew, we hear the voice of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, saying that this King is coming. It can kind of feel kind of a little bit hopeful, but a little bit shocking as well. 
This is it, John is saying. The king is coming. The waiting is over. That frustration, that longing is over. And John the Baptist, he comes to prepare the way for the coming of this king. As a herald declaring the good news, the long-awaited-for king is almost here. John the Baptist is God's parade for the new king. So in the next couple of verses, verses 3 and 4, Matthew tells us that this is all happening as fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40. He says that this is the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Then in verse 4, John is described as wearing a garment of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he's eating locust and wild honey. This description tells us that uh, he is the Elijah that was to come because this is how Elijah is described in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to pause while this noise... Oh, it's gone down now. This fanfare for the coming king. Elijah was the prophet who was to come and to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And so these allusions tell us that this is it. This is that time. Elijah has come in John the Baptist to prepare us for God's Messiah. This is the time that all of the law and all of the prophets were waiting for. So in verse 5 we see that it's clear that the people understand that what is going on here. They understand the significance of who this person is. And people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the region of the Jordan River begin coming out to hear him and be baptised by him and confessing their sins preparing themselves for the coming of the king. See, preparation was John's whole purpose, really. He's this big flashing light pointing us towards a coming day, a day that we need to be prepared for. So how do we prepare for the coming of the king? Well, I wonder if you picked up on what John was talking about. We prepare for the coming of the king through repentance. This theme of repentance is repeated three times throughout our passage. In verse 2, John is described as preaching in the wilderness and his message is repent. And why should we repent? For the coming of the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In verse 8, John exhorts the Pharisees and the Sadducees saying, bear fruit keeping with repentance. Then in verse 11, John says, I baptise you with water for repentance. The coming of the king requires us to be prepared, requires us to repent and have repentance. And so John comes to prepare us for this very task, to make straight the paths of the king. For although we see in Isaiah that this king will be glorious we also get this frightening description of what this coming king will be like from John the Baptist. In verse 10 we read, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is an image of God's judgment coming on those who are unrepentant, who are not ready for this king. The coming of the Messiah will mean 
great blessings for many people. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 11. But it's also judgment on those who are evil, who have crooked paths. His coming will involve the pruning of bad trees. It will mean judgment for those who refuse to get with the king's agenda, who reject his rule over their life. And the reason for this is the same reason for why it's going to be so glorious when he comes. It's because he is perfect. He is the perfect righteous king, just in all his ways. And his righteousness and his justice means the end of all evil and wrongdoing. He is perfect and he can't tolerate any imperfection. He can't tolerate any sin or wickedness. This is not like any king or political leader that we have ever had or known before. He isn't like our politicians or leaders who make many promises but never deliver. He will be a perfect king. The king that Israel has been waiting so long for. And he's coming to establish his rule on the earth once again. So John the Baptist directs this judgment against the Pharisees and the Sadducees in our passage. He says that they are the bad trees which will bear bad fruit. I just want to pause here. I don't have this in my notes. and it, I usually say silly things when I don't say things from my notes. But it's often easy to uh, point the finger at other people. I love pointing the finger at other people, looking down on them. Uh, and so I say here that John the Baptist points the finger at the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but I want you to not think that they're the problem. He identifies them as a problem, but often we are like these Pharisees and these Sadducees. And so I think I need to repent, I need to change my life. But we see all throughout Luke's biography that Jesus himself says that these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are hypocrites with hearts that are far from God. And I've preached on this previously. We preach about this all the time. They're the ones who tithe the mint and the rue, but don't care about the poor, don't care about justice. And here in verse 9, John accuses them of presuming that their heritage would be sufficient for their salvation. That just because they are children of Abraham, people of Israel, a member of God's chosen race, that they can kind of do whatever they want and that they'll be okay. They presume that they'll be saved just because of who they are. The bad news for them is that the coming king doesn't play favourites. It doesn't matter if you're a child of Abraham, especially if your heart belongs to the devil. Salvation is not based upon your race or your nationality. It's not based upon your class or your status. It has and it always will be based on faith. This is explained all throughout the New Testament. And in Romans, Paul shows us that even Abraham, his salvation was gifted to him because of his faith in God. In Genesis 15:6, we read that, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved because he believed that God was able to do what he had promised and he trusted in God. He believed that God was able to do what he was saying, that it was true. Even though what God was saying went against all of his reason, all of his experience, he believed God was powerful enough to do what he was saying. 
And this is what John the Baptist is calling us to now. He's calling us to prepare our hearts through repentance for the coming of the King. God is doing and has done in Jesus what he has promised. And the good news is that through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, all those who prepare their hearts, all those who turn to Jesus and trust in him, they will be saved. And that salvation comes through that King who has come. This passage ends with a glimmer of hope for us in verse 12. It's only a little slither of hope, but I hope you can see it there. Verse 12 we read, that when this king comes, he will gather his wheat into the barn. Though he comes with judgment, this coming king will also come with salvation. He will come to gather up his people into his house, his dwelling place, so that we will finally be with God and he will be with us. This long-expected Emmanuel. Finally, the God of the covenant that he made with the patriarchs, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, will be fulfilled. And we'll be in perfect relationship with God once again. No longer separated by sin, no longer suffering under evil. But he will be our God and we will be his people perfectly and forever. Finally, the time of waiting will be over, that time of frustration, that time of longing for the king that we have been waiting for is coming and has come in Jesus, bringing redemption and reconciliation to all things. This is the good news. This is the gospel, that God's king has come and his name is Jesus. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. So, brothers and sisters, as we look forward to Christmas, as we reenact that feeling of waiting for the coming King, I want you to take some time this Advent season to prepare your heart. This holiday season is short and busy and stressful, and there's much planning and presents to buy. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to take some time out and to prepare yourself. Maybe a minute, maybe an hour maybe a day, it doesn't matter how long it is, but journal or pray or sing, however you want to do it, prepare your heart for this coming King. In the words of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The shoot from the stump of Jesse is coming, the long-awaited-for Messiah. And so we sing, come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own internal spirit, rule in our hearts alone, by thine all-sufficient merit, Raise us to thy glorious throne. Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are fulfilling and have fulfilled what you have promised so long ago, that your King has come to us in Jesus. Please, by your Spirit, help us to turn from our wicked ways, turn from our sin and to turn to you. Prepare our hearts this Advent season 
for Jesus, that we might trust in him alone. Father, all this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.